This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Homestay Radio. I'm Chris Hamming and I'm your host tonight as we look back at a second successive Palace victory. A committed and clinical performance from the Eagles to relegate Stoke City in a 2-1 win. A deflected free kick from Shakiri saw the Potters nick a half-time lead 1-0. But second half goals from James MacArthur and Patrick Van Arnholt took the points. We'll introduce the panel shortly but first here's a quick message. reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Okay, uh, glad you enjoyed that fantastic introduction. Here is the panel. It's one. It's Mr. Patrick O'Connor. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Ah, the English policeman greeting. I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, as a replacement for... Which one could you be a replacement for? You're a replacement for Alex Penge. It's Mr. Tim Warren. Evening to you. How you doing? Good. A little pause before I said Warren there, Tim. Nearly happened again. Yeah, well, you know, most <laughs> worst things have happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you've definitely, that is definitely your correct surname. I did it. I it is, yeah. yeah. That's in yeah. the rabbit. You've got it. Excellent stuff. That's in the rabbit. I'll use that in the future to remember it. Or I may call you Tim Rabbit. Well, that's better than Tim. Uh... Agreed. That is better than Tim. Uh... Yeah. And as a late replacement for Lucy White, we've gone like for like. It's DR Kernas. Hello. Hello, DR. You fine? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, what are you about to? I think good. Um, yeah, I was about to go to McDonald's and my whole family's gone out and you just called me, so I can't say no, can I? I mean, to be honest, you volunteered this. Right? Actually, yeah, right. Yeah, stop, stop it, stop, stop it. Stop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that you've oversold your position a bit there. Yeah. <laughs> Right, that's the that's your panel for this week. Uh, another win for Palace, very very exciting stuff. Uh, before we get into the analysis of that, just another opportunity to point you the way on Thursday night, seven to nine pm. Lovesportradio.com. We have a two hour show there. 
lots of fun. Some of it is about Palace sometimes. Um, lots of it's about food, uh, films, uh, B-grade chicken shops, that kind of stuff. Just a lot of chat. Uh, but there is, it is genuinely, genuine, generally sort of Palace slash sports themed. And uh, a lot of people enjoyed it, a lot of positivity from that. A few people avoided it because of... Uh, They've Googled Love Sport and found out that uh, I think it's Kelvin McKenzie was one of the people who set it up. So, look, fair point. If you if you want to avoid anything he's involved with, understand. I would say that morally you'd have to probably avoid all of football as well. And, you know, if you were to, to try, try and live your life exactly to that kind of a code. So, you know, that's just my opinion. You're entitled to do what you want. But anyone who's not bothered and just wants to engage with some fun interesting palace content do get involved in listening to that it is very very enjoyable for us to do and uh, it looks like we'll be doing that over the summer as well covering a bit of the world cup and some general chat as well so while while we're off the air you'll be able to uh still listen to a little bit of what we do and it's a lot of fun isn't it dr going down there to the to the london studios meeting all sorts of famous people remember when albert drank kerbishley's water that sort of stuff yeah it is and um, yeah I, I, like if you if you have the time on a thursday evening i, I do re- recommend you listen it's something different to this uh to what we do now in a review and preview show where it's more of a chit chat and more about us and palace we do talk about palace though but it's not as significant so yeah it is decent <laughs> listen I once uh, did a crossword clue with John Solarco's while he was on air and found out as a result that he'd got loads of his clues wrong. That was awkward. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff happens. It's, uh, you know, Celeb Central down there at Love Sports Studios. So, no, so get involved. It's, it's, it's a laugh. Um, and I promise you, next time I'm on, which is this Thursday, we will try really hard to talk about Palace for a little bit longer than we usually do. Um but let's get into talking about Palace right now. So, I suppose the delightful thing to point out, I think. I, well, let's we'll see how the panel feel about this. Dr. started us talking about it pre-show. We've we've relegated Stoke City. Uh, Dr. You were one saying that's not a particular shame. Yeah, I'm happy. Um, <laughs> they've been here, I think, ten years too long. Their football isn't that great. Away days isn't that great. I just, I just find it, I don't know, I just find it boring. The players I have don't excite me. And it was going to happen and it did happen and I'm not upset. I'm I'm quite happy. Of course, you and I were supposed to go to that game that uh, I got too drunk at a wedding and I messaged you, what was it, probably about eight o'clock before? <laughs> I was already too drunk at eight o'clock and uh, uh, sort of bailed, didn't I? So you were quite happy about that. So, yeah, we didn't make it there, but obviously watched it on, on Sky. Uh, and I was a little bit... A little bit down about not going in the end because it looked a cracking atmosphere and it was a, obviously a famous moment. Patrick, how did you feel? Do you feel for Stoke? Obviously, Palace been in that position quite a lot ourselves. Uh, you know, I thought a stat out there, Chris, um, on Twitter. I've seen Palace relegated seven times in my life, um, which is a lot. So I, I, I hate to see teams relegated. I mean, I don't particularly care for certain clubs and/or managers. Like, I don't like Pudis or Pardew, for instance. So. When they're relegated, but they're not at their club anymore. At their clubs anymore, so do I feel bad? Not really, but I know that the sting of relegation is not something I wish on anybody, even you know a Stoke fan. No, I, I guess not. I think for me there was a moment in the the second half where I think the camera sort of caught a Stoke fan standing up and absolutely berating Patrick Van Arnholt. Um, sort of, about, I think it's about sixty five minutes or so. And I just right. love the fact that he went on and <laughs> went on and scored. <laughs> exactly. That guy must feel so, so stupid and sick about it. Uh, I'll ask Tim just a moment, but DR wants to jump in. 
Did you guys see um, in a Stoke uh, home uh, in a yeah in a homestand? Um, there was a there was someone wearing a Man United kit. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> I didn't see yeah. that. No, yeah. seriously, it was on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that, but I didn't take a picture. I was just like, that's where this should go down, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can you ever see that happening in that palace? Never. Yeah, I no, exactly. I had, a, I had a similar feeling actually watching, um, you see the Leicester Lap of Honour? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was where, it's about, it's about maybe people. 200, it's about 200 <laughs> people left. But literally, you're talking about a club that hugely overperformed to win the title, you know, a couple of years back. And, and, that's how bad it's got for them. They won't even stay around. They finished what? They're likely to finish top 10 in the Premier League. Well, they will finish top 10 uh, in the Premier League. That's Leicester City top 10 in the Premier League. Okay, yeah, forget, you know, if you take out that aberration of them winning it, we're literally any of about 12 teams could have won it that year. You know, if they'd had the, the lack of injuries and the consistency that Leicester had. If you take that out of it, top 10 in the Premier League is good for a club like Leicester, right? Isn't it, Patrick? <laughs> It is, Chris. This is the thing I'm going to say is that people don't appreciate that Palace fans just want to win something once. I mean, I go back to 2016. I flew over for the cup final, you know, and I saw you got, you know, you were there, you know, to, when, when Punch scores that goal, we're that close to being a cup winner. And if we'd won that cup, I, I'm telling you, I wouldn't care what Palace did the rest of my lifetime. Whereas when I left that stadium, Man United fans could have cared less they won. They wanted the Van Al fired so much, but by the time I got the translation, he was already, he'd already quit. Yeah. They didn't care, you know. It's like they don't appreciate it. And Leicester fans are the same way. How could you win a Premier League two years ago and then not appreciate it two years ago that you're still in the Premier League and you're doing well? I don't. It's so some fans are just so spoiled. They really are. Yeah, I was. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of Leicester. Um, I know a few a few supporters of theirs. A couple of guys, a couple of them are nice, and a couple of them were a bit. Well, they're the sort of fan that, that, that very very quickly became overprivileged, and um, you know, such a shame that their their fans deserted them when they've when they've actually had a good season. Uh, Tim, going back to. Uh, you know the, the the actual the the joy I suppose of, of relegated Stoke. Did you take any joy in it yourself? Um, a bit like Patrick, not really. In terms of you know, I, I, I don't get any pleasure watching teams suffer necessarily. Um, I see what DR saying about the fact that Stoke have been around probably too long. Um, I think that's probably like a, a kind of warning, really, not to get too complacent because a lot of teams have based themselves on that kind of be like Stoke and, and stay in the Premier League, and and you know it just goes to show that. One bad season. Um, I know we've had a few kind of close close run-ins ourselves where we've left it rather late to sort of pull away. Um, but, you know, just don't take it for granted. Enjoy it while it's here. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, I, I, you know, colours to the mast. I described on, on a on Love Sport Radio, I described Stoke as a blight on the Premier League for the last decade. So that's where I really sit on it. <laughs> um, and I mean that. I really do. They, you know, and I know they tried to change their style a little bit under Hughes and ultimately failed but you know the majority of my memories of Stoke are of a team and it, that includes the the 2-1 win we've just had uh, is, a, is a team that's effectively tried to kick the opposition off the park you know and, and I, I look at some of their players and you know I mean take someone like Shawcross who's a really good defender and somebody who's been you know tipped about you know England recognition throughout those 10 years that Stoke have been a, a Premier League club but he's never quite made it you know, I was asked whether or not I'd want him at Palace, and there's just something about him, something unlikable about him. That, I, and I said no, I'm much, I just, I'm just not interested. And a lot of the Stoke players come in the, in that category for me, and have done over the years. Um, but I guess you know, at the same time, 
you have to admire the, the sort of the fact that they have been there for ten years at a club of that size. Um, but I think perhaps again another one that, that that's kind of because they've been there a long time, they kind of felt that they belong in the Premier League, and I, I've never really felt that about them. So I was quite happy to see them go down. I view them a little bit like Wigan. You know, there's a there's a natural order of things, and it doesn't involve clubs like that being you know, at top level. But maybe I'm a snob, eh? Do you know what, Chris? Again, I'm, a little, I'm probably the oldest person on this pod. I am, obviously. But when I was <laughs> when I was young, they were actually a pretty decent Division One side, you know, with a decent history. So I know what you're saying, like the Wigan comparison, but they're actually pretty steeped in history. But I find you what you said about the way that they play. I agree. They get lumps out of you. They, their football has been rubbish. Uh, again, Hughes, I don't like as a person, but he did try to change his style. It, it didn't work, which is why he was gone. And um, so I know what you're saying as far as you know having them be gone. Let somebody else come up, and somebody else might play a little better football and get you know be appreciated a little bit more. Yeah, I think you know if you look at who who is coming up, you got Wolves and Cardiff. Not a fan of Cardiff. <laughs> I, I, I am a fan of Wolves. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be hugely stretched in that kind of loyalty if he if he stays there for the whole season. Exactly. I've got a feeling he'll find himself out of a job about halfway through the year, but he usually does in the Premier League, doesn't he? But uh, but I gotta say, another great promotion there. Uh, Dio's asking, uh, would we take anyone from Stoke? I know we've been linked with Shakiri. He's the only one I really would. No, uh, but he just doesn't do anything defensively. So you you have, you have to build a team around him. Um, exactly. You know, I quite, I'd quite like him bouncing around in that kind of free role in behind a striker. I think he's, he's just one of the, he's, he's what you call mercurial, but he's a luxury player, isn't he, Patrick? Yeah, again, uh, not the type of player I would want to get, but again, you, your point being building a team around him, we're not at that stage yet. But I would take Butland had we not oh, already yeah. signed Gaeta. The only person yeah. I would take off that team would be would be Butland. I feel, I actually felt he, he his, his picture made me want to cry yesterday. I felt bad then yesterday, I really did. Yeah, he cried too much for me, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Over totally dramatic, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was making the crying face as well, but where were the real tears? <laughs> anyway, I'm being a bit cynical there. Uh, <laughs> DR, are you taking one from Stoke then? Um, as Patrick said, I would have, I would have uh, taken Butler, but we're going to get Gaeta. And also, um, Shakiri. We, we don't need him. We've got Wilf as our main man, and he won't be effective as defensively. So, yeah, I wouldn't really take anyone um, because we've already got Gaeta, so Butler will be unnecessary. Timbo? No, same really. Shakiri's about the only one, possibly. But, again, unless something happens and we lose Wilfred. But even then, I still don't think he's... You know, he wouldn't be good enough to replace Wilf, so... No, I would uh, stick with what we got. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, Martin Zindi is a good player. He didn't play yesterday through, through injury. I know we were, we were looking at him at one stage. Quite like him as a player. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably better. I actually like Sobi, who came on as a sub. Uh, sort of young, sort of left-winger type. Quite good yeah. on the ball. But a lot a lot of developing to do, I think, for him. You know, don't know what you think, Patrick. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know what? As a as a younger player, but again, see, I'll go back to what I I kind of like developing our own players, and I, again, Ramon Sobi is a good player. Uh, I like what I saw of him, not just yesterday, but just in general. But I actually would prefer if we were going to bring something like that to let me bring up on our kids through. But that's just me, I guess. Diago, uh, realistically, looking at the relegated teams, um, West Brom are not down right now, but. I think they will go down. And when they do go down, I think we should get Jay Rodriguez or attempt to get him because he can play up front and he can play wide. And we've seen what he's done before 
at Southampton and even at West Brom, he hasn't been too bad. So I think that would be a good shout. But apart from that, anyone from Sirk, uh, Ramadan, so I don't think he'll be, I don't think he'll push us onto the next level. Um, I think just Jay Rodriguez, realistically. And if Southampton do go down, they've got one or two good players as well. Yeah, certainly have, yeah. I mean, we, we, won't, we won't get too deep into that. There'll be plenty of chat for that. And in our end of season uh, show, I would imagine. But uh, yeah, interesting little diversion. But anyway, guys, look, we started the game with a with the same lineup we have done for, I think that's four consecutive games now. So once again, Ward started at right back. And again, same old sort of uh, thoughts for me as, as I saw the lineup. Um, you know, I know, I know I should know better. Um, I know that I've been regularly proved incorrect and that, uh, that Hodgson's sort of got the tactics right pretty much every week. But uh, I still couldn't help feeling, looking at the game, we knew Stoke wanted to attack. If they're going to attack, that involves a high press. If they're going to high press, that usually forces our defence to hit the ball long. If we play the ball long, it's very, very easy to defend against the forwards when they're Wilf, Zaha and Townsend. So I thought, as soon as I saw it, we're going to struggle to create anything here. Um, and I, I would say that probably was at least half true about how uh, at least the first half went. Um, and I noticed the players saying it afterwards as well. I think Van Arnholt in particular picking up that we played long ball because of um, the pressure that, that Stoke were applying on us. And you just cannot cannot play long ball in that situation. So I kind of, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I, I felt that again, we, you know, I knew that we'd probably end up winning, <laughs> but at the same time, I thought it was, I did think we started wrong. Yeah, I'm with you again. Um, but again, I don't want to be critical of Roy because he's been done fantastic. Uh, I just thought that the way that Stoke play, you know, changing it. I know this whole thing about not changing the winning line, but I think it's kind of funny because you've got to change your line based on who you're playing and what you're trying to accomplish. So I would have started Benteke because I thought that that would really have helped us, especially when you, you just talk about Shawcross, you know, big lump that he is and, you know, to hold the ball up and which proved right at the end. But, um, uh, again, and then I would have probably not started Ward. And again, I understand why he did it because apparently, you know, because of the crouch influence coming on, on the right back side and having a big player, a stronger player in the air than Juan Basaka. But again, Roy seems to make adjustments. I'll give him credit for that. He may not start the way I want him to start, but you always need to make an adjustment when we need to, which is, I think, the most important thing. Absolutely right. And what I definitely didn't accidentally hang up during the course of you answering there and have to struggle to get back and miss all of your answer. I didn't think so. <laughs> but I, I know, in all seriousness, I, I catch at the end of that, I know I know exactly where you come from. It's exactly where I am as, as well. Um, Tim, your, your thoughts on that? Um, well, on Ward in particular, I mean, it just seems that, that Roy is so old school um, that even though we were pretty much safe before the game, he's, he obviously wanted to get over the line and make it totally safe and he's just kind of over the last few weeks by starting Ward he's obviously making that kind of statement he wants the senior players uh, to do the job for us uh, and again with Benteke yeah I'd, I'm not surprised that he didn't start but I think he should have started really because you know for what you've explained really it just didn't suit us in the first half and we certainly struggled to get going and and you DR um, again so you know did you have the same fears tactically or are you backing Roy a bit more than we are well <laughs> Looking at last week against Leicester, you saw what happened and we managed to beat them 5 0. So it'd be a bit harsh on us changing the lineup. I thought, you know, I know where you're coming from with uh, putting long balls on and uh, Stoke handled them pretty well. But then, as you see in the second half, I know Ben Teke did come in, but 
even later stage of the first half, we, when we did start playing on the floor, we created one or two chances and we defended pretty well as well. They had one free kick and they managed to score. I know we'll talk about it later, but yeah. I don't think it was as bad. Well, you, it's, a, it's a really good point you make and it's where I struggled a little bit because as much as, I mean, look, the, the first half was a bit of a non-event in a lot of ways, but actually when you watch, you know, and I've watched it back a, a couple of times, I've just happened to have had a lot of time on my hands over the last two days. Um, and we actually played some really nice possession football at times. You know, it was only the the moments where, you know, that the Stoke were able to press our defence that we went long. You know, where where we were able to pass around them, and we were, and we're better at doing that as as a team. I've actually really enjoyed the sort of evolution of this team being able to do that. And Roy has proven the point that you can evolve a style of football. Um, and you know, we've actually looked a very good passing team in the second half of this Premier League season, which has made me so happy. But, you know, that aside, you know, you could see tactically we we weren't able to get Wilfred or, or indeed Andros on the ball and, and really affect uh, the game like we should. You know, you, you could argue that, that from a Stoke point of view, that they'd done their homework um, and that we were limiting their chances as well. But I just felt it was a very poor Stoke team and we could have been much more dominant than we were. And, and certainly shouldn't have gone in at, at half time one nil. Um, you you first deal, then Patrick's gonna jump in. Yeah. Um. Did you guys hear what Andros um Townsend said? I think he was talking to Sky Sports before the game, and um he mentioned that he prefers to play out front in a way because when he does play out wide, um the ball goes majority out towards a wealth. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, yeah. Yeah. That that was an interesting point. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think. Andros would have been happy to start up front. And it's true. I wonder what's going to happen next season because I have a feeling that Benteke or Solov is going to start up front. I don't think we're going to play the same type of football where Will Fernandes is up front. So it'll be interesting to see how how Andros responds to that. Well, I think if, again, sorry, Patrick, I'll let you let you be back in in a sec, but I think it's a very interesting point that he made that the ball was going down the left to Wilf when they were both playing out wide. But I think, interestingly, Andros could still play out wide and Wilf play central. Uh, and I think Andros would still find the benefit of, of being able to drift inside and play a little bit more freely than he did. But yeah, it, it really interesting point that was um, about about how we've been playing. Cool, Patrick. Well, a couple of things. Uh, great points by Dr. I'll get that in a second. One thing I want to say is that um, corner kicks yesterday, because we didn't start a big man in Meteke, all of our corner kicks were short corners in the first half, which is interesting because obviously tactically we've we adjusted to that. But going to what Dr. just said uh, with Townsend, what you said about that, Chris, I like the fact that the following has happened. You know, Palace are a counter-attacking team. We always have been and we always will be. But the fact that we've now learned to play with Benteke as a, as a main striker and with two, what do you want to call them, false nines, false tens, to me really gives us a lot of flexibility next year. As long as we bring in, uh, you know, the players that can, can do that next year, let's say we have to replace uh, Loftus-Cheek and or Kabai because they won't be back. Mm-hmm. The fact that we play a certain style and we can play either with the number nine or two false nine, I think it's a very good thing for us. It's going to make things difficult for teams to play against us going forward. Yeah, definitely. That yeah, you've you've hit the nail on the head of the of the, of the point I was sort of tiptoeing around in terms of saying about how we've how we've evolved. You know, I, I can't actually remember a, a, a Palace team passing the way and moving the way that we do at the moment. I agree. Um, I think if you look at the what Steve Bruce was building, we were heading down in that direction before he uh, went wandered off to join Birmingham. Right, exactly. Uh, but again, you're talking about a division below. Uh, in terms of uh, of top flight, in terms of standard of football, it's weird. We've kind of stumbled upon 
what we had targeted in the first place with the appointment of the <laughs> board, haven't we? Oh, you right. know, Roy surprised everyone with that. Very scary. You're absolutely right. Spot on with that. Tim? Well, you just exactly said what I was going to say, that it was ironic that, that what caused us the problems at the start of the season was trying to change the style of play. And, and just naturally, we've developed into a team that's playing far more attractive football uh, than we've been used to in recent times. And uh, and we seem to have got the balance right now. And And to have a situation this year where we have no strikers or we've had no strikers at times to get out of that situation by this new kind of formation has obviously, uh, you know, served us so well. And it, like, like Patrick says, it just gives us those options moving forwards. Um, and we've got to build on that. Goodness. This may be a bit harsh, but I have a feeling if you, if, I haven't seen enough of Serloff, but if you play Benteke and Serloff, um, they're more target men. And if you put that, if if we play one of them up front, I have a feeling we won't be able to play this type of football because they're not as quick as Andros and Wilf and and the limit are. So it'll be interesting to see what we do next season because I I prefer Benteke and Soilov coming off the bench, but I don't think they're gonna they're gonna like staying on the bench for all well, season long. I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I, my my belief is that there's a kind of a hybrid of the two ways we play at the moment that that could get the best of both worlds. But then I think we kind of have to, certainly with modern football, you have to kind of let go of having any one style. You know, I think we need to accept that there's playing like this. That means that the likes of Benteke and Serlof are going to sit on the bench. Uh, And then there's certain games where that won't be suitable, you know, and and again, I point to this season. If you look at, um, I think the game we played against Man United is a good example where we stuck Benteke and Serlof up top together that worked beautifully and almost, you know, almost won us a game there. I mean, but, um, but, but, you know, again, you, I think if we'd played, played the way we have the last few games in that match, I don't think we'd be anywhere, anywhere near as effective. So, um, but I still think there's a lot more to go. We've got, we've got a lot more to do in terms of improving the systems that we've got at the moment. Um, and as you kind of get into it, it's all about the personnel that come in over the summer. And, and Roy's pretty much said that himself. Um, so I've just got we've had plenty of contact ahead of ahead of this recording, so we'll get into some of your some of your questions and comments in the near future. What, have, what how have you just written there? <laughs> That's a distracting comment. Is there something you want to say? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> such, such, a helpful, such a helpful guy. Uh, so let's talk about the, the the few sort of chances we had in the first half and a couple of the incidents, really. So first chance of note, um, Patrick, was uh, it's a little run from Loftus-Cheek. So, you know, one of those uh, moves, as they often do, starting on the left-hand side. Ends with Loftus-Cheek cutting inside and hitting a hitting a shot. I just have to say, I thought I thought it was in when he hit it. I really did. but um, And it was a lot closer than people seemed to react. Um, but he didn't have the best of games, did he, Loftus-Cheek? It wasn't as effective as he, as he was against Leicester, but um, we're still showing showing some very, very uh, dangerous moments there. Yeah, what I liked was that my bigger thing with him is he doesn't shoot the ball enough. And yesterday I thought that he was looking to shoot more. I think on that one you're talking about in particular, I think Wolf might have been actually open on the other side and we're looking for the, for the slip ball, which he didn't play, which he ends up playing later on when we score. But I, I actually like the fact that he was more aggressive at the edge of the box looking for the shot. And um, I think that's a part of the game that if he ever develops, he's going to be a, a really next-level type of a player. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of sort of chat. I mean, Dr. Do you think we've got a chance of getting him? 
I think we I think we do because um he plays for Chelsea and Chelsea have a track record of learning out players and selling them in the future for not even that expensive to be fair. They sold Aki for around twenty million and in this market, you know how much players cost. So that was relatively cheap. So yeah, we do have a chance, but it really does depend on whether he goes to the World Cup or not, because if he does, I have a feeling his price may increase. But then again, it all depends on Loftus Cheek as well. He's enjoying his football here, so and you can see in his celebrations and the way he plays. So he would want to come, and if you got the money, I think we'll get him. Patrick, yeah, I don't think there's any chance that we sign him. But I did hear a rumor that um, Chelsea can want to keep him in for another year, and they might loan him back out to someone. So I think we can get him back on the loan. I don't think there's anybody gonna they're gonna sell him to us because I think that with the new manager coming in, him going, I think he's gonna go to the World Cup. They're going to be tons of boxes for him. And why would you... I mean, they've done it in the past, obviously, with the Bueno and Salah. So they've sold players, you know, and then regretted it, um, Lukaku. But I just think that they're going to end up loaning him one more year to someone. Hopefully it'll be us. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly take another year's loan. I mean, I think it's, at the moment, it's it's hope more than yeah expectation in terms of signing him. But, you know, he's a, he's a dangerous, dangerous player. That's him. The only other real sort of chance of note, uh, well, it's sort of two for Kabai, really. He had a, a long-range effort that was way off target. And there was one where I think uh, Townsend was sort of half shooting, half whipping a ball in that came off the top of Kabai's head, sort of drifted onto the top of the net. Um, Kabai, obviously, out of contract at the end of the year. No confirmation he's signed an extension. Confirmation the club were trying to get him to sign one. Um, but potentially, you know, we're coming to the end of, of his career at Palace. Um, firstly, how do you feel about that? Is it you know should we be? Um, well, it, it's obviously a shame, um, but then I suppose it's trying not to be too sentimental about these things. And, and at the end of the day, as ruthless as it is, we'll you know we'll get someone else in to replace him. Um, I think his you know his best time for us is sort of behind him now in terms of he seems to just lack that fitness at the end of games and you know not completing ninety minutes. Um, I, I think he's been brilliant for Palace, um, possibly. Not as great as I thought he was going to be, but he's still been very effective. Um, but it would just give a chance for someone else. So, you know, I, if it doesn't work out, then then we just move on. Yeah, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, for, for me, I think I still think we've got to try and try and keep him. I know you've not always been impressed, Patrick, with, with Goodbye. I haven't, but I, I will openly eat my words on that. He has been, um, again, like Tim, um, I expect a different type of player. Once I got my mind around the fact he wasn't a number 10 that created goals, scored free kicks, penalties, etc., and he was a more of a um, deep-lying slash holding midfielder who puts in a tackle and makes great passes. I have, I've, you know, I, I, I think we're going to miss him. But again, like Tim said, we'll probably replace him. But no, I, I, I take back whatever I said. I, I think he's definitely... Uh, been a very vital to our play the last two, three years. And um, I think we're going to miss him. I think he can be replaced with a different type of a player. And I just want to add one thing. I, I, you know, I listened to the, the uh, interview that MacArthur did, and he mentioned that he likes playing with Luca and Kabai because of the fact that Kabai will will kind of, you know, drift around. But he'll, he, he knows that and he'll cover for him. So I think that that yeah. combination has been really, really good. And we're going to miss that, um, what's the word looking for, synergy between the three of them. But I think they can be replaced, hopefully, by a third player. Yeah, that's referring to uh, MacArthur's interview on Five Year Plan. If you haven't heard it, really recommend you do. Um, really good listen. Really good listen. Particularly, yeah. you know, MacArthur's uh, obviously uh, seems an absolutely top bloke. But it's, uh, they say some really interesting comments in there as well, as well about just how the team plays and how 
you know, how he's responded and some bits about Allardyce as well. I thought it was just, yeah, I thought it was a great listen. And, um, but I think, yeah, like you say, with the play, you know, the way he talked about Kabai, I just think Kabai makes us tick. And I, and I've said this yes. a number of times over the years where I think you cannot have enough players in the team that can receive the ball in kind of any position, you know, yes. who, who aren't scared of, of, being given the football when there's a player near him. I, I used to, you know, used to really hate our team because we used to have probably about, let's just say out of 11 players, probably six or seven were almost terrified to get the ball. <laughs> if there was a player near him. For, the, for years, it was yes. what, like that. Like, and that's no offence. It's because we were playing at, you know, usually at championship level. Um, and, and you, know, play, you know, it's a difficult skill to, to receive the ball under pressure and still have your head up and be able to look for a pass. You know, I remember talking in glowing terms about Michael Hughes being the only player in our team at one stage who could do that, you know, who could receive the ball and also see the big picture while he while he had the ball at his feet. And Kabai is one of those players who can who, who can do that. And obviously we're blessed with a lot more these days. Um but like I say you can never have enough of them. Uh, go on, dear, your last bit on Kabai and we'll, we'll move on. Um if we do give Kabai another contract, I think it has to be a short term one because I know wages is uh, wages is going to be an issue because we, he's one of the highest paid players, and I don't think he'll take a massive pay cut. So I'll give him a short term deal, uh, get one, if not two, max, because I feel like after maximum two seasons, he's going to not be able to do it in the Premier League. And yeah, as you, as you said, he's a, he's he has a massive impact in the squad, as as Maka said as well. Um, yeah, I'll give him a short term deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whether it's I know you think this this probably is his last chance at a big contract. For me, a lot of it depends on whether he wants to wants to go back to France or if he want to continue continue playing football in, in this in this league. I think we're uh, we're most likely to be his destination to stay. In all in all honesty, but that's more of a hope than an expectation. I think at this stage. Um, so anyway, so yeah, a couple of chances for Kabai. The other main incident in the in the first half, um, Tim was. Injury to Joel Ward. Um, obviously, see Wan Bissaka warm up to come yep. on, uh, and then yep. you see Roy change his mind and get Martin Kelly off the bench. Uh, and I actually took the time to explain it to to Wan Bissaka as well. A couple of gestures. One looked like like a gesture of a ball going over the shoulder of players. Um, you know what was your, what were your thoughts on that decision? Um, it's just kind of going back with what what I said earlier. That that kind of backs up for me in the fact that. He didn't want to risk putting Juan Bazaka in and going straight for Martin Kelly, who we know is a reliable replacement. Um, I wouldn't have had a problem with that um, before Juan Bazaka has been been sort of you know playing for us in the side. But it just whether it's this communication thing or or lapse of concentration or whatever it may be, Roy just obviously wants to you know not risk risk it. He's just going for the experience, and um, like you say, you could see him putting his arm out him as if to say, "Look, I'm really sorry," you know this isn't your opportunity, you know, that there'd be other opportunities in the future. Um, but I think it was a shame really, because I think, you know, it would have suited him yesterday, but then again, Martin Kelly, you know, he, he did all right when he came on. So. Yeah. Patrick, I mean, obviously you're, you're similar to Tim. You're, I, I know you're, you're probably Phil get the youth on getting more experience. Can't do any, do any harm in all honesty, can it? And then, um, but also I suppose like probably like myself, you, you kind of think, well, it's actually nice to see the manager explain himself on the touchline. Actually, put his arm around the player and say, "Look, this is why I'm doing it." You don't have to agree with me, obviously, but this is this is the reason. It's not you; it's Martin Kelly. 
And that's the the thing I will take from that uh, whole exchange is that I really appreciated or liked the fact that he spoke to the young man about why he was not going on. So, because for me, I'm worried about Juan Basaka's mindset. I don't know the kid. I saw the interview that um, Chris Grierson did with him about him. And he, he seems like a very quiet, you know, shy type kid, even though he's, I heard Richard Troy say he's a little bit of a, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, troublemaker sometimes, you know, that kind of mischievous, I guess is a better word. But I like the fact that where he did that. I think that... Um, that's the kind of thing that we we don't see as a man manager, and that's why Hartson has been so good over so many years. The man knows how to manage a team and how to manage a squad and how to manage a man, and I think that makes me feel a lot better about him not playing yesterday than had I not seen that exchange that would happen between him and Juan Vasaka. Definitely, and it's interesting you talk about his man management, DR. It was uh, MacArthur after the game telling the story about how at half-time that Roy really tore into the players uh, and they were a bit surprised because they didn't think they were that bad. And in fact, Roy said after the game, that you know, obviously it wasn't that bad in the first half, but he's had a proper go at them. So um, is that a bit of a surprise f- f- you know, for you, thinking that you know, Roy still loses his rag with the players? <laughs> oh, it's just, it just shows his passion for the game. Even though we're practically safe, he just wants to win every game. And it's good to have a manager like that because... At the end of the season, if, if players start to slack like that and he doesn't respond, then start of next season, they might approach it. They might approach some games a bit more relaxed. And by having by him going harsh on them, they already know that, you know, Roy's not going to have it no matter how, what game it is and who is it against. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy because you need to do that and you need to let the players know what is expected from them if they don't deliver. And can I quickly go back on... Uh, the Martin Kelly situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as Tim said, I, I was not that surprised um, when Martin Kelly did come on because he has the experience and physicality. And as as we talked about man management at half time, even during the game when he spoke to uh, Wan Bissaka, that's that's just great because as a young player, you would want to know why you're not being allowed to play, and if you don't, then that could affect your morale. So, I was not shocked when Martin Kelly came on due to his physicality, and I feel like. Wan Bissaka under Roy this summer is going to have a huge summer and next season can be our star player. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for me, the more I think about it and, and the more you, you look at how the game was going, um, you know, Peter Crouch was was brilliant for them um, until he went off. You know, didn't, didn't have a huge opportunity to score or anything like that. But, you know, it, it's just it's not just about his height. It's about how, you know, his... his first touch his control but he's a very obviously a very intelligent player as well and he, he likes to peel off on the fullbacks and you can kind of imagine that if, if Peter Crouch is peeling off on the fullback that fullback's Martin Kelly he's also more of a centre-back he's gonna you know he's gonna know even if he's not gonna beat Crouch he knows where he's you know the timing he's got to jump to put him off all that kind of stuff uh, that kind of stuff you can imagine someone like a seasoned pro like like Crouch pulling pulling off and going on to the fullback and it's and it's Bissaka you know potentially that that could you know I'm not saying Bissaka wouldn't shine in that situation because he has shined in some very difficult has shone in some very difficult situations but you could also see Crouch coming up very very much on top of that so um, yeah the more I think about thought about it at the time and think about it now it probably was the best call so guys just before we get into the fact that you know to, to the goal I noticed that there was a shot on target from Wayne Hennessy did you notice that where. Yeah, I think I noticed that. It was a <laughs> long... Did someone pass it back to him? Was it Saka? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah it was I remember. 
and it's passed back. Yeah, he absolutely leathered it. And he could just, and it was a little smile from Butland because he almost misjudged it. Uh, just about got a, got his foot on it and controlled it on the edge of his area because Butland was standing right right on the edge of his penalty area. Uh, so I couldn't actually go with his hands and catch it because it was sort of dropping at his feet. But I'm taking that as a shot on target from Wayne. All right. Just thought I'd say that. So anyway. Only one who hit the target in the first half, anything? Yeah, uh, for us. So anyway, um, just before half time, I think guilty of a little bit of overplaying and it's, and it's Loftus Cheek who's the most guilty of it. Um, so first and foremost, I think Kelly loses his man a little bit on, on the wide left from the switch. Uh, ball comes in, goes right over everyone, lands lands with Loftus Cheek, and he gets away with beating two players, <laughs> you know, with his quick feet and a little bit of luck. Ball just runs away from him, and he does foul Shakiri, even though Shakiri sort of is falling as he touches him. Um, so a little bit of naivety there in, in giving away the free kick. And the free kick itself, guys, I'm not going to dwell on it. We've we've obviously made it clear that we won't talk about um, the same old stuff with regards to Wayne Hennessy. So we won't, you know, obviously, no, he didn't move for the shot. But in all reality, he's not going to get there anyway. I think you know, just to make the point, by not moving, that, you know, that can frustrate people, even if you're not going to get there. You like to see people make an effort. But the truth of the matter is, you know, it doesn't matter if he's moving or not. He's not getting there. It's uh, it's taken a horrible nick off the head of Loftus Cheek. And um, as Thierry Henry um, noted in the coverage that I've watched back, um, it was Jawcross gave a little bit of a nudge to Loftus Cheek as the wall went to jump. As a result, Loftus Cheek's the only player who doesn't jump. And of course, if he had jumped, it'd have hit him sort of chest, neck area, and it wouldn't have gone in. So. A whole host of stuff there that you can kind of overanalyze, but bottom line um, is a little bit of quality from the free kick and a little bit of bad luck and Palace going one nil down at half time. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And uh, didn't feel good, did it, Patrick? No, no, and no. <laughs> um, the only the only saving grace was that I thought that we would be able to come out second half and and pressure them because they, at this point now they're up one nil. You know they have to win the match to avoid relegation. They're going to feel some pressure. And I just thought to myself, you know what? We get a chance at some point second half. We can we can have these guys. And what happened? Well, exactly. You know, it's it's weird, isn't it, that the one nil almost it's a difficult one for them because they, they it's you know while it's nil nil they've got the certainty that they need to go and attack exactly and they need to press 
Uh, one of you like, well, we don't have to, but <laughs> but it's dangerous if we don't. But we don't have to. But it's dangerous, you know what I mean? You exactly. have that. You're that in, that in between. If you're two nil up, you can sit and defend to a degree and play on the break. You know, it's yeah. It must. It's 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 a dodgy situation. You're absolutely right, and and it did play into our hands a little bit. And it's interesting, sort of reading social media and you know some of the comments made by many Palace fans and Stoke fans alike, that there was this inevitability about the second half. And a lot of Stoke fans, I know, felt that. That even though they'd gone in 1-0 up, they just felt, OK, well, we're going to lose 2-1 in the second half. It's obvious. Uh, I think they'd seen it enough this season. But, uh, I, you know, what I will say is, obviously, going going 1-0 down at half-time, come out in the second half, and, and, and Tim, I don't know if you felt the same, but the opening sort of five, ten minutes in the second half, I was absolutely livid because we did exactly the same as we'd done in the first half in that we allowed Stoke to pressure us and we started playing it long ball. And that was literally up until sort of 55, 56 minutes. And the game started to change around substitutions. But incredibly frustrating, that opening period of the second half. Yeah, I must admit, uh, at half-time, I wasn't too concerned because I thought, you know, um, we'd come back into the game um, later on. But yeah, I, I didn't. I thought we would come out for the start of the second half, kind of all guns blazing, and you know, going from it straight away, rather than it taking that you know extra fifteen minutes or so to kind of get us into the groove. Um, so yeah, it was like you say. There was, I mean, Peter Crouch, he came off, didn't he? Um, shortly before we equalised, I believe. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and never that you know, I wouldn't say massively significant, but like you say, he'd been causing us problems. So. Um, yeah, we just suddenly clicked into gear, and uh, it's a shame it took so long, but thankfully it did. Now you, you've jumped in. You, you're, you're absolutely right, and I picked out as well. Crouch going off at the same and same time, Benteke coming on was a huge turning point in the game. But go on, Patrick, you want to jump? Yeah, just to add, I wrote in my notes as I was watching the game, Stoke dropping very deep, and that's exactly what was happening around the 60th minute. They dropped off really deep, and I just at that point felt that they were there to be had because. Again, they're in a situation, you're right, they're up 1-0, you know, do you defend the 1-0, do you go for the second goal? I mean, you can't afford to get, you know, for the, for the match to be drawn. So, at that point, they just started playing very different, which is Lambert's style, and I understand it, but you could just kind of tell the pressure was going to get to them at that point. Yeah, I've seen many a Palace team do it, you know, um, the, the manager's waving them forward, but under no circumstances <laughs> yes. are they going to go forward, they drop it off deep because they're panicking. Yep. Exactly. In their head, they know, they know, that they know what's at stake. They cannot help it. They psychologically cannot help. And it's edging, isn't it? It's a slow, it's a slow thing it's over a period of 10 minutes. It's, they're creeping back just that little like inch by inch by inch. But the distance between forwards and midfielders is getting longer. The gaps for the Palace midfield to play around in was getting, getting bigger and bigger. We grew in confidence. And exactly as Tim has said, the, the two substitutions were absolutely critical. First of all, um, Actually, Stoke were lining up Crouch to come off before before we made our sub, but it was actually Benteco who came on for Kabai first. And, you know, cards on the table here. I was terribly wrong, <laughs> but I I was like, why are you taking off Kabai when you should have said, take off MacArthur? Take exactly. off MacArthur. I know there'll be people sitting at home are like, why would you take off MacArthur? He was man of the match, blah, 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 blah. And it's just because I, I, just, I just think Kabai is a better player. Um but I, you know, I'm so wrong. It was just a reactionary thing, I, and I know I was wrong. I say it now. I was absolutely wrong to do that, you know. And similarly, you know, when I see them bring on, um, uh, I can't pronounce his Rami. Sub, 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 I said it earlier, didn't I? But Ramadan Sobi. Yeah, that's it. Ramadan Sobi. I said it. I said his name earlier. I then forgot it. That's good news, isn't it? <laughs> good news to my civility. 
anyway, um, they brought him on, and I, I, you know, I like him as a player, and I, I, you know, I think he's got good feet and a good dri- good drive on him. And I just thought, you know, this this could change the tide, and it did, but it very much did in Palace's favour. Um, so, the, but there were a couple of bits I wanted to pick pick out before we get into that. First was before we went off. Did you see a little incident? Uh, Dr between Crouch and Sacco, a little bit of a little bit of a tussle. <laughs> yeah. Um, did Crouch have suck around the neck? Would you? Yeah, red card. Wasn't that wasn't that a red card? I think that absolutely should have been. I'll be honest with you. I mean, yeah. it's, it's soft, but these days that's got to be. You know, he's twice he strangled him, and I think you know you're taking your life into your own hands by trying to strangle Mama Sacco. But um, that's the side of Crouch that, that doesn't get talked about a lot. But it's always been there, that little bit of aggression. But you know. No, yeah, I think I think it was. I was showing at the TV. Um, I was like, red card, red card, red card. But I don't think the ref spotted it. To be fair, I think if he did spot exactly what Crouch did, he would have gave the red card because it was just scandalous. He was grabbing him by the throat, and he just wasn't letting go. And yeah, I think to be fair, Peter Crouch was frustrated. I think Sacco had him all game long, and he just let it out. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there. I mean, this is this, you know, I was lead, lead, this was hoping to lead into talking about Sacco because big performance from him, you know, and he's, he's not had a, you know, I think this is the most consecutive games that he's played all season. Um, really, really big display from him, I felt. Um, and, you know, the first big chance of the half, you know, we're talking about the, the fact that the game eventually went Palace's way, but, you know, Sacco getting back at the, during during this incident was incredibly important because Stoke sort of had that little breakaway, didn't they? He went to Shakiri, who found uh, Indai, um who's fortunately appears appears to have no left foot because he immediately cut back on it in, in, in on his right. Um, I'm sure you remember this one, Patrick? Uh, cut back in towards the centre, and just I mean, doesn't even know if Sacco even touches the ball, but a combination of Sacco and I think Tompkins getting back. Uh, and the ball sort of not quite reaching Peter Crouch. And we, we really got away with one there, I think. Yeah, um, and you're right to point out that Sacco had a really consistent, excellent game. It's the kind of game that, you know, when he doesn't make those silly passes, um, people realise why, you know, we got him away so important. But no, he was he was blocking passes. He was defending well. He had, the, you know, he had the, 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 the little bust up with Crouch. I mean, he really was one of the, definitely, agree with you, Chris, one of the better games he's had consistently, what, consistently for 90 minutes since, you know, all season. I just, I mean, for me, I just love his distribution. You know, he's just got that extra little bit of quality um, play out from the back, Tim. And I think that probably, you know, having Sacco there, being able to, make, being able to pick a pass, that's something that, that, you know, this style that we've been talking about, that we've we've evolved into, he's, he's got to be a key part of that, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you do still get those off moments, though, don't you? Like, there was one, there was one in particular when he just sort of, he looked like there was no danger at all, and he just played a kind of blind pass almost, and I can't remember who put in trouble now, whether it's a short one back to Hennessy, but it, it gave you that kind of heart-stopping moment but generally, he's just so calm and collected. Um, and, yeah, he kind of gets a lot of the kind of moves going into our midfield. And um, definitely, yeah, definitely better having him in our side. That's for sure. Stuff Right, well, here we go. This is where the game starts to change. As we've talked about, Palace was starting to take control. Uh, the the um, the two subs, obviously, they take Crouch off, um, stick on um, Sobby. And then uh, we take off Kabai, stick on Benteke. 
Uh, and it really, that's, that, that change starts playing in our favour, start adding a bit of pressure to Stoke. You then get that moment, which is another thing I think just stacks up in our favour, where just lining up for a free kick, I think Glenn Johnson and Tompkins getting a, getting a real nasty little row, pushing each other, heads together, all that kind of stuff. Luca comes steaming in and everyone's getting wound up. And I think that's, whatever it was, whoever sparked that, that put the fire in the bellies of, of the Palace players. It was already there, believe me, because, you know, they weren't they weren't slacking, they were trying. But I think it just gave us that extra 5, 5% or so just to just to up things because all of a sudden, I think, you know, someone stepped over a line and, and, you know, it focused the minds of the Palace players. And it's not too long after that, you know, we're pushing Stoke, they're dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. The number of fouls that Peters and Shawcross committed on Zaha was getting to a stupid level. And then Patrick, talk us through the equaliser. So, uh, Mecca shows uh, Ramadan Sobi the inside. Uh, his pass is blocked by Sacco. Uh, Benteke wins the header so don't let's not forget that Benteke wins the header around the centre circle which is huge it really is the ball goes to Zaha he's three on three with Stoke with Dossus Cheek on his running his left and Townsend on the right Wilf drives towards the box uh, plays it wide to Loftus Cheek he dribbles to the 18 all the time by the way Macca's running yeah. from the 18 yard Macca's running he's running he goes to the outside Loftus Cheek he overlaps him Loftus Cheek plays him in Maka plays a beautiful one, one-time left foot shot into the side panel to beat Butland. I mean, let me tell you something. What, what a goal. And it epitomises James MacArthur. It really does. I mean, what other player goes from 18 to 18 to get into position to, to score? Because it could easily have just been the three players I spoke about. Wolf, Townsend and Dovchik could easily have uh, you know, done what they did. Like I said before, uh, Lovchik shooting a little more. He could have easily taken the ball in like he did in the first half, taking that shot. But the fact that MacArthur makes that run and opens himself up for the overlap is brilliant. And I just want to add one thing. Anybody remember the, the goal that Joel Ward scored against Chelsea when Sacco, when he crosses it in and everybody thinks it's Wickham well, over here, that was Wickham. It just epitomizes like a player that would make a run from his own half into the box deserves to get rewarded. And that's a perfect example of that yesterday. It was a brilliant, brilliant goal all around and great play by James MacArthur. Yeah, great, great summary there. And obviously, they'll pick out a couple of things. First of all, the Benteke header. He's got no business winning that header. <laughs> he really doesn't. Not he's, miles, he's actually miles away from the ball. People criticise him for not chasing stuff because he doesn't chase what he considers to be a lost cause. You know, fair enough. I understand that because sometimes when you chase a lost cause, you create something. You create a bit of uncertainty. Yeah. You know, we're used to seeing that as, as Palace fans. So that's, you know, I, make, I know he makes himself unpopular on that side. And f- fair enough, I can get that. But he has absolutely no business winning this header. But he somehow chases back, just literally leans in that last moment. And not, I know I knew that he heads it to someone. <laughs> you know, it's not just it's not just competing for a header. It's uh, it sets us up brilliantly. Absolutely right. And then, as you say, Patrick, after that, it's all about James MacArthur running and not stopping. Unbelievable. And to, to have the coolness to pass the ball into the bottom corner. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not you. Have, you haven't got a margin of error there, have you? You know, you've got a, a very good goalkeeper, and you've got to get it out of his reach, and then inside yep. that post, there is probably one and a half footballs width <laughs> to get away football through. Exactly, uh, and and he's done it. It's just an absolutely beautiful moment. I, you know, I I screamed at the TV as soon as it went <laughs> in. Fantastic, absolutely loved it, and 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 then you know it was on. It was really on at that stage, dear. Just quickly going at Benteke, like you were saying, oh, he has nothing to really fight for. Well, he's got his world class, but I think that's why he's upping up his game because he's only got two games to really save himself. And 
if he doesn't get the goals, he needs to show that he's, he's still fighting and show Martinez what it's all about. So I think that's that's really got into him because he's not he's been dropped and when he comes off the bench now, he has to work that extra bit harder um, than he would if he was starting. Yeah, well, that, that that's a factor. Go on, Patrick, you jump in first. But I argue, DR, that he's he's been doing it all season, though. He really hasn't changed the way he's played uh, of late uh, you know, to get the World Cup squad. He's played that way the entire year. Remember, he led our team in assists up to a couple, a few matches ago when he got basically got dropped and then he was injured. Um, so, I mean, again, it, the, the problem with Penteke for me has been the lack of goals. But as far as his link-up play and his assists and stuff like that, I think he's been he's been very good all year. People just don't, don't want to see that. But I will say this, though, Chris and Dion and Tim, is that the fans in the stadium have been brilliant. I watched a couple of videos yesterday, and they were singing his name, you know, which is great. So I think that the backlash is more people on social media than their fans. Even last week, obviously, at Leicester, the Leicester match, they were singing his name. So I think it's really more of the social media than people at the people at the ground. They get it. They do. Yeah. Oh, look, you're, you're absolutely right. Palace fans at the games, you very rarely get the negativity that you see on social media. Um, you know, and they've always, always supported and backed Benteke. Always, you know, even though I've heard a lot of moaning, and you know, actually, when you're, you know, you're standing next to someone who's not a fan, Benteke, and there's plenty of people who there who aren't. You know, you might hear the individual moans, but basically, it's a collective. You know, Palace fans support Palace players, uh, and you know, you can forget that when you when you're reading too much Twitter and too many of the the message boards and stuff like that. And sometimes it's good to give yourself a break from that and just go to games and just experience the the fact that that most Palace fans are good people and do support the team so there you go uh, it's a good point you make but you know to, to add to what you're saying about the world cup place dear i also think it's um it's relevant to to say that you know benteke played when he came off the bench like he had had a confidence boost you know and let's not forget he had he had that boost against leicester where you know a real outward showing of support from not only his teammates but the fans as well that extra goal um and you know I think he played. Let's just say it. Let's say it this way: there was a couple of moments where you had Benteke running with his ball, with, with the ball at his feet, at at defenders. You know, and that that I like to see because that's the old Benteke. You know, not playing with his back to goal the whole time. It's dropping deep and turning and running with the ball and making defenders make a decision against him. And he he started to look a lot more confident just in, in, in that one game. So I think the, the Leicester game had a real positive effect on him. Um, I just think it's a shame the season's coming to an end because um, I think he's maybe a few more games away from, from starting to, to really threaten and be back at his best again. But that's just maybe I'm being hopeful there. Uh, we'll have to see what the summer holds. But I thought, yeah, I think I thought he, he played very, very well off the bench. So... Um, <laughs> Not too much more to go. Just checking the time out. We've been, been talking a while, so we'll wrap this up fairly shortly. But uh, so that was the equaliser, um, and then obviously we plenty of pressure um, uh, on on Stoke after that. I don't think that, that you know anyone was under any impression that they were going to get back into the game and win it after that. I think it was all about whether they could hold on to a point and hope results went their way. But um, we didn't give them that opportunity, Tim, did we? Let's talk about the winner. Yeah, so um, yeah, I must admit it was I was at my um, stag do watching the the Palace game in the pub beforehand. So some of them decided to go outside in the in the sunshine. 
uh, so how I, dare sorry, they? Sorry to interrupt him. Can I just check? Was was producer Mikey Fairley at that stag do? Uh, no, he wasn't seen. I'm but, but he said he was going to go. I know, I know. He, you know, hundred percent, he was going to be there. He wouldn't let me down, but he let me down. Weird, weird. Dear, what do you think? Does he exist? <laughs> Does he exist? Does he exist? You know, you've never met him. Have you? Yeah. Does he actually exist? He no. he says he's met me, but I don't recall meeting him. So <laughs> he's a dodgy guy. We need, to, we need to do some test behind the scenes because he doesn't exist. He just he's a robot. Says, yeah, I think he's a robot. He's designed by Chris. <laughs> anyway, Tim, you were in the yeah. Uh, anyway, yes, getting closer and closer to that TV. Yeah, so there's a few people outside, and um, I basically talking through the goals. A lot of cheek picked up the ball. I think he slips it into Benteke, um, who knocked it wide to Zaha, and Zaha kind of pauses for a moment rather than just playing uh, PVA through, um, and in doing so, Shawcross gets back. And then Shawcross intercepts and plays a delightful ball through to, to PBA. Uh, just has to keep it to beat and he slots it past him. And it's a glorious moment. I couldn't um, sort of stay quiet. I was shouting around the pub. So all my <laughs> mates come, you know, what's going on? What's going on? Um, and it was just a glorious moment, to be honest. Absolutely glorious. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic finish from PBA. He really has got that, that goal touch. And Patrick, the thing that used to annoy the hell out of me is now the thing that I love the most about him. He's totally turned it around from being a, uh, a a player that, after he played at Bristol City in the Cup and made a horrendous amount of errors and was all over the shop, nobody wanted him back in a Palace shirt again. All of a sudden, you know, he's an absolute hero, worth every penny of the £14 million we paid. And, and you know, a proper threat when he breaks forward out of nowhere and just people just don't go with him. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. I, I mean, watching him play at Sunderland, that's the thing PVA's always brought. He's very good attacking. You have to kind of ignore, which is stupid for a left-back, you have to ignore his defensive liability sometimes because he'll do things that will head you head-scratching, especially Bristol City. But, again, that's what I always thought was the thing that I liked about him. But I'm like you, Chris. Uh, he worried me for a long, long time, but he's won me over. And I love the interaction he's had with the fans too, which has been brilliant because that's what makes you a cult hero at Crystal Palace. He is, and he was he was on Twitter. And I think, I don't know whether someone asked him about his affection for Palace or whatever, but I just remember his, his answer to it was, you know, it's a special club, a very special energy. Uh, and I think he epitomises that. I think he, he's bought into it. Um, Clearly, you know, he now feels in a, a place where he's loved playing his foot, best football and feels loved. You know, it's interesting. Koeman's picked him for, you know, his, his first team selection for Holland as well. So he's back in the fold internationally. So 27 years old, he's, he's at his absolute peak, really. So we should be seeing the best out of him, DR. Yeah, you're right. Um, he's changed a lot. I think he's, he, I think he is the most improved player this season. Um, can't, I'm trying to think right now. Yeah, he, he probably is. And it's just so funny because I was at Bristol away and you were there, Chris, as well. And this is the same guy who, uh, I think after the second goal uh, that Bristol scored, yeah, like, yeah, this is the second, this is the same guy that played in that game. It just, it's just a miracle what Roy has done. And the manager, the, the whole backroom stuff have done. And yeah, he loves that Palace. He, on Twitter, on his celebrations, at Sohurst, you know, he just seems like he's loving it. And some people have even said, is he one of our greatest ever left-backs? And I'm not too sure if he is. <laughs> no, I, think, I think he's got to play a little bit more before that happens. Yeah, yeah. a little bit more. But yeah, he's, he's great. And hopefully he can continue that next season. Go, Patrick. 
Chris, are you aware of the connection between him and Clinton Morrison? Sorry, yes. Yes, I am. Yes, uh, I, I think that that's the thing I think is really uh, kind of connected us now. Because if you guys don't know, Clinton played with uh, PVA at Coventry, he's alone from Chelsea, and he was like his like a big brother, you know, showed him around, etc. And he said that he lived next door to him, and Clinton would always, uh, PVA would always come over his house and kind of like follow him around. So, and I think that Clinton kind of gave him the I gave him the old thought that if you play well for Palace, the fans will love you. And I think the PVA gets that now. You know, he understands now. They, the, our fans love him because he's performing for us. And I think that's the thing that's really that connection between Clinton and, and PVA has been really good, making them, you know, into, you know, buy into the Palace ethos, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I love watching Clinton as a pundit as much as he's I love good. watching him as a player. He's just, <laughs> he's good. you know, when we've had him on the show as well, he's just been so fun to talk to because he's just straightforward, honest, isn't he? He just and says it... says whatever's in his mind. So exactly, what was he saying? He was talking about that that thing with PVA. And he was just saying, yeah, yeah, just, you know, when he joined Palace, just told him he's got to sort his defending out. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what. It, well, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm not sure he can take full credit for it, Clinton. <laughs> He's absolutely right, you know. Sort your defending out, and the Palace fans will love you. Well, there we go. Uh, absolutely right. Now it's been it's been um been an extremely impressive transformation for him to from to go from where he where he was to where he is now. Um, so anyway, and I think you know that's eighty six, eighty seven minutes, and it's as PVA said during his celebration that was game over. Um, really, really excited uh, to see us reach forty one points with a great shout if we can beat West Brom, although that's easier said than done these days under Darren Moore, but we can beat West Brom. Great shout of finishing top half. And if you can imagine, <laughs> looking at you know the start of the season, if you imagine talking about a top half finish in the Premier League, forget the points total. If you finish top half in the Premier League, that is a great season. And the thing is, if we were to finish ninth in the Premier League, that, I mean, that is one of our all-time best finishes <laughs> Ever, right? Madness. But yet yeah. two, three weeks ago, we weren't even sure we'd be in the league. So uh, absolutely crazy situation we find ourselves in. But, you know, when but you Chris, look at your... You know what that speaks to, though, honestly, is from Burnley down, it's all up for grabs. I mean, you know the top six are going to be the top six, but when Leicester have a bad season, everything have a bad season, you can really, if you get lucky, you can do a Burnley. You really can. I really believe that Palace can do a Burnley because of the fact we just said you can be bottom after seven matches, end up maybe ninth or tenth, and then say to yourself, well, how do we get there in the first place? You know, you make a few adjustments, you know, you go off to a better start, all of a sudden, you know, you're having a you know, Europa League next year. It's, it's that, it really is. Yeah. The, the Premier League is really crazy when it comes to those, you know, the bottom 13, let's say, sides. It is, and realistically, that's got to be our aim for Has next season. And I'm Has sure that's what, what Roy's been dropping a hint about over the last couple of weeks in his interviews as well. That he believes that we're already a few players away from being a kick on in, in that way, and stop worrying about relegation and start looking to what we can achieve. But you know, hopefully, we look at this. This, this season's just mad. The few, so few points separating people. But you know, I think if if you think about those first seven games, you know, okay, they were against difficult opposition, and I do think the fixture list has been a bigger factor this year than we perhaps appreciated. Um, but there's time for analysing that uh, in our end of season show, I guess. Um, rather in, in this one. Uh, just before we go, uh, go DR, you wanted to ask a question there. Eh? Yeah, it's Roy, manager of the uh, manager of the year. Is it manager of the year? Yeah, it is, right? What would you call it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, my mind's playing games with me. Yeah. yeah, Roy, yeah. Is he manager of 
Has the, he? Do you mean has season, he been appointed? Uh, season, season, season. Right. Okay. Yeah, because uh, Pochettino said he was. But you know what? <sighs> it's look at Burnley and look at their squad. I have a like we. I have a feeling that we have a better squad than Burnley's, and Sean Dice has done a great job. So I'm a bit like in the middle. I don't know if it's Roy or Sean Dice, and I'm really yeah. dumb. But um, Pep Guardiola, maybe. Yeah. But, but look at his squad. It's a really hard one, isn't it? It's just like I don't know whether to pick if it's Sean Dice or Roy Hodgson. I don't. I don't think it's Pep because yes, he's done good. But look at his squad and look at the amount of money they spent. If you look at Burnley's squad, they're nowhere near my seat's level or even I don't think they're better than us in squad wise. So yeah, it's a hard one. What you do guys you think? You guys have a quick chat about that. I'm just gonna go quickly go to the toilet. Is that all right? Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> also if you if you run out of stuff to talk about on that side of things, talk about who do you think was man of the match. We'll be back in a minute. All right. So on the player uh, manager of the year, the I know what you're saying, but money doesn't always guarantee that you're gonna win. So I know what you're saying about Guardiola, but look what happened to them last year. I mean, you know, it was only his you know, he was new to the league, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I really think that you make a good point about Hodgson. I think he's done a fantastic job. I mean, 41 points in 31 matches is ridiculous. And I agree with you. I think Dyche has done a great job with that Burnley squad. But I would still give it to Guardiola because I think that despite the fact that they have all that money spent, they've achieved, they're going to achieve record levels of wins, points, goal scores, et cetera. And, and I think that the manager year normally for me is probably has the best side. And I think Man City by far the best side, you know, over the course of 38 matches, that is. Interesting. Tim? Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, Man City have been phenomenal this season. They've broken all kinds of records. Um, and yeah, they've got the finances, they've got the players. Uh, I've always done a fantastic job. But at the end of the day, um, you're talking about the best manager in the Premier League, aren't you? So, you know, I think it's on results basis, it would be Pep. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah, it is a hard one, isn't it? But... I'll go with Sean Dice. And it's quite weird that none of us said Roy because <laughs> you would expect us to say Roy because we swore Palace. But I thought, I thought Dice done, has done a great job. Really has. If you look at that squad, that squad is not great. And if you look at our squad compared to theirs, I think we've got better players than them. And credit's due. They're going to play European football well, next season. But then, like Patrick says, this is our chance now. If we have a, a normal... When I say normal, um, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Let's have a summer without any drama. Yeah. And like you say, we can push on and be the next Burnley next season and, and be that team that, you know, wins more games than they lose um, and, you know, push up the top half of the table. I mean, that's where we was hoping we'd be at the start of this season. And obviously that didn't work out, but we've got a great opportunity now. We've got a great platform to build on, um, you know, and, and we what can take us to that next level. Worth, it, worth noting, guys, sorry to jump in there. <laughs> but it's worth noting that, that we've lost three... So if you call them established Premier League clubs, I guess you might do in one way. In one way, and we've kept three promoted clubs. Um, what impact do you think that's going to have on the league next year? In terms of you know, you're going to have three newly promoted sides who are going to be reliant a little bit of momentum. Although Wolves have got a bit of money to spend, but you know, real. And then you've still got the three promoted clubs through uh, from last season who have that difficult second season syndrome to come. So can I jump in, Chris? You may. I think that next year, the top six will be the top six. You're going to have Man City, United, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal. Chelsea and Arsenal will have new managers, so they're going to be up there. I think after that, it's anybody from seven down to 20. I really believe that. I think next year, you can see Bernie struggle, might get relegated. I'm not even joking. Everton could struggle again. 
West Ham could struggle again, Bournemouth, etc. So I think that it gives us the opportunity and other teams too to go out of the way. I mean, if let's say, uh, do I should I even say it? I won't say Brian. Let's say Watford, um, you know, stabilise. They could end up being, you know, a, a top seven side. You know what I mean? So I think that the fact that those three teams coming up, and you're right, Wolves got a lot of money, and I think they'll do well because of it. I mean, they'll do okay, but I think the top six will be the top six. I think from then on, you can you might see another Leicester City or another Burnley come out of nowhere and do you know things, and who knows who that could be? It could be us. Indeed, and you've got someone like Newcastle who you never know if they actually sell the club, they might get investment. And you know, Rafa's worked miracles with nothing. Imagine by the way, by the way, he should be up for manager of the year. He's been fantastic. That, that job he's done with that with that team. It's been fantastic. Benitez is yeah. a great manager. He no, really he is. hasn't been in the press going on about how great he is, like one exactly. of their other managers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, we didn't talk about it. Who was your, your man of the match? Difficult one to pick because more of a team performance than individuals. Tim, who did you think? Um, I'm going to go for MacArthur again. Um, I just think that that critical moment when he started the ball home was just was just superb. And, and that's what he's good at. He's He's... I've, I've said it before, he's one of those players that you really trust in those positions. Um, and I thought his overall performance was excellent. And um, he's had a fantastic season. Kernas? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with MacArthur as well. His energy, well, he, he always has great energy, but it helped us out a lot. He scored a goal and he was all over the pitch. Yeah, it's James MacArthur for me. There you go. Patrick? And despite having a great first half, I'm going to go Loftus-Cheek. I thought that his play in the second half was really, really important. I think he really set up his game in the second half, but I'd give it to him. Okay, I'm going with Sacco. Uh, I thought he had a, overall had a strong game. I was very, very tempted to go with PVA because uh, I thought he was very good. But I, think, I can't remember exactly what he was. Just a little lapse at one stage or just the back of my mind I remember seeing. So... Uh, but there we go. Could have been. It could have been anyone. Great team performance. A couple of questions I'm picking off from Twitter. Um, uh, Patrick, you can answer this. Mr. Cabris Parrot, is there a better left back in the than Patrick Van Arnholt in the Premier League right now? Um, good question. Um, wow. I wish you'd prep me for this one. I'm just trying <laughs> to think. Of, I'm thinking. Uh, you know what? Probably. Um, Danny Rose, I would say, is better in Spurs, and even doesn't play all the time. No, he's a lot of injuries, isn't he? Yeah, but, problems. I, I mean, that's a guess. I mean, you think about it. This is the thing, Chris. I'm, I, when you said the question, I thought about left backs. There aren't yeah. any really pure left backs. Most of them are wing backs now. Look at you know, Alonso at Chelsea, and um, uh, yeah. uh, what's his name at Man City, the converted uh, midfielder. Uh, they've played. They played a few people there. Delph. No, Fabian Dolph. So yeah. my point is, there aren't. I mean, you know, Luke Shaw doesn't even play for Man United anymore. Rahul's not any good. So that's a good question. But I would still probably go with maybe Danny Rose when he's fit. Yeah, I think I think you know when you look at it, it's not get ahead of ourselves. I think Patrick Van Aanholt's got to play at this level consistently. But then you, still, you do start asking that question. You know, if you remember, I think it was the start of the year or maybe the transfer window last year. There was some weird story came out linking him with Man City, and we were all like, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but. In all seriousness, if he if he carries on that form, you could you could potentially see it, couldn't you? You know what he what he could contribute at, at both ends of the pitch. But uh, yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves though. Uh, Chuck Myers has been in touch. Um, why do we always look to the Premier League or Championship players for transfer targets? What are your thoughts on looking for players in the MLS? There are some fantastic players that would not cost le- much, uh, much less than European players. Miguel Almiron uh, with Atlanta would top that list. Thoughts, uh, Patrick? Obviously. You're a man who will probably know the MLS better than all the rest of us. 
That's uh, a, any gems in there? There are a few. Almiron is an excellent player. He really is. But I think, I don't know if his style would, 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 this is the thing about the MLS. MLS for me is probably championship level, uh, lower Premier League, you know, for the top teams. I don't think there are, I mean, for instance, I'll give you an example, Chris. The best player in our league, I think right now, the striker is Bradley White Phillips, um, Ian yeah. White's son. He really is. But he's, he's in his 30s now. The league suits him perfectly. Um, the, the style that they play. I think Almiron would be good in the, in the Premier League. There are a couple of others. Um, the, the, the guy on Toronto, the, the Italian player, is excellent. Uh, his name for, oh my God, I'm embarrassed Jovinko. now. Yes, Jovinko would, would, <laughs> what a player he, you know, so someone like that. But I don't think there's a lot of players coming from the MLS. They, most of them are going the other way. Um, but that's not a bad shout. But I think that there's probably other leagues in Europe that'd be better suited for, uh, looking for players and MS, but it's, you know, great shout though, really. I do think there's a couple of things in there around some of the players. It's very difficult to get work permits for. There's issues over ownership of players at times, yes. I think, big, yeah, big because obviously there's a whole roster system and all that kind of stuff to, to battle with because the league effectively owns the registrations at times. Or was that change now? I don't know. I'll try to no, look into no, it. It's, it's, no, it's, no, it's um, every player's contract. is The way they did it, because way back when NASL went out of business because the big team would spend money, like the Cosmos and the small team went out of business. So every yeah. contract is league owned by the leagues. That's why players don't really move to Europe that much. And it's a really big deal for a player to move. Uh, like, for instance, Tim Ream went from the Red Bulls to Chelsea. And now he's somewhere in Europe. I think Vitesse Arnhem. Because, yeah. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a big deal to get a contract. But Jordan Much, by the way, he can leave whatever he wants to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, last I heard, he wasn't getting in their team either at Vancouver. But oh dear, Jordan Match, Jordan Match. Um, yeah, you talk about Bradley White, right, Phillips, which Dr has just learned he's Ian Wright's son. Well done, Dr. Well done, mate. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good stuff. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, I was reading that article on the BBC about him this week, which is really, really interesting. He talked about how. Uh, you know, while he was playing football in England, he, football was second nature to the lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. And it took him going out to the US and he was watching a game apparently and said to, it was Thierry Henry who was playing for New York Red Bulls at the time, was it? Yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, you yeah, know, how did you lose that game? You had you and Cahill. And he said, well, you'll find out when you play. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> uh, and he said he did. And he's, you know, he was making the point as well that, you know, it's it's a tough league out there and he's, had to put football first. And now, now that he has, despite the fact, you know, like I say, he's 33 now, I think. But he's um, widely considered the best best player out there, most effective player. And that shows you. It's not just about, it's not because it's an easier level. It's because it's a lifestyle and a way of living that suited him and it's got the best out of him. So, exactly, yeah. Um, but I totally take the point. Great, great question in there from Chuck because, you know, I think we've highlighted that there are difficulties in getting players over, but it's certainly it's it's as a league. I've seen a couple of games recently without having having never previously engaged with it at all, really, and and I've been surprised about how entertaining it is and how how good the quality of football is now. Um, and I think over over the next few years, you'll just see it grow as a league and become more and more uh, entertaining. And I think more and more people will watch it. Um, it won't just be about the the EPL. <laughs> and Chris, I have a Jordan Much update. Oh, okay, cool. He has a Hampton injury. That's why he's out. Oh, gutted. Shockingly. Has he, has he done that? <laughs> Carried some shopping or something? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been running, would it? Um, anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, Jordan. You're not terrible at all. You are. <laughs> uh, just a tweet in from Stuart Flynn. He's actually responded to something that I posted on Twitter yesterday about how I was 
bit gutted that the season is coming to an end. And Stuart's saying, honestly, I found this one of the most draining seasons, especially with the polar reactions of fans to each result, which I, I totally get and I'm, and I'm guilty of as well. Uh, just wanted to be mathematically safe as soon as possible, start again next season. So good comment there from Stuart. And I, I really, you know, the same particular, the note that he's made uh, of our, our polaring uh, reactions to every result you know it's the worst game in the world and we're terrible if we lose and everything's brilliant if we win but uh, and that is also exhausting and draining you'd like a little bit more uh, level-headedness but it's been a crazy crazy season and still one game to go gents still one game to go and uh that means one more review show to go and an end of season special uh, with some announcements coming soon just a little tease there but i'm not going to tell you what they are uh, but we'll leave it there for now. Thank you to everyone who got in touch with us today. Sorry it wasn't a live show, but, you know, bank holiday, sun was out. Difficult, isn't it? <laughs> difficult. difficult. <laughs> uh, the entire lineup changed at the last minute as well. So there we are. So other, other than you, Patrick, you were consistently available. No problems today. So first of all, thank you, Patrick. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Cheers, Tim. Thank you for stepping in, mate. It's been a That's pleasure. Thanks for having me. And DR, Mr. Last Minute Kernaz, as you're known in a variety of circles. Thank you for stepping in as well. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Cheers to Sam for producing. Done a wonderful job once more. Uh, download the preview show. Listen to us on Love Sport on Thursdays. And we'll be back next week at some point. The games are on a Sunday. So I don't know when we're going to be on, but at some point. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.